0: what's up enterprises welcome to episode 138 of the enterprise now podcast where we educate motivate inspire and transform business owners and entrepreneurs into success that is what we do we help folks launch grow and maximize john larson is the creator of coach accountable Coach Accountable allows competent coaches to do their very best work, coaching that's more effective and more approachable. Crafted and refined since 2012, the CA platform enables coaches to put forth a more compelling offering, have their coaching be more than just a phone call and a notebook, realize better results with their clients, and focus on doing more of what they love. Now before we dig in, let's listen to a short message from our sponsor.
1: Seems everyone is podcasting these days. But if you want to do it right and stand out from the crowd, you need to contact Enterprise Now. E-Now Podcast Solutions is second to none in providing best-in-class customer service and delivering top-quality podcast production. Podcast editing can be time-consuming and tedious. You're a podcaster. That's what you do best. Let us do the dirty work for you. Besides, it's what we do best. Then all you have to do is your awesome show. We can help with basic editing, mixing, promotion, delivery, tagging, and pro editing. Whatever you need, we can do it for you. Check us out and see all the ways we can make your podcast sound amazing and professional. Visit enterprise slash production
0: all right john can i get a oh yeah oh yeah perfect perfect so first of all john let me say thank you for taking the time out to talk with us uh, we certainly appreciate you uh taking uh, time out of your busy day to to share your knowledge and your wisdom
1: that's oh, my pleasure thanks for having me
0: uh the second thing i like to do is to ask you to tell us about yourself Now, feel free to go all the way back to the number one day where it all started, or you can start more current day. Tell us about (laughs) yourself.
1: Right on. I'll, I'll probably start more current because I don't remember much of that day. It was pretty eventful for me in the grand scheme, but I got nothing. Um, <laughs> born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin area, um, not too far from your stamping grounds, actually. Graduated from Brookfield and went, you know, about an hour's drive west to Do Madison, Wisconsin for for grad or for undergrad. Did a math and chemistry major, and then went to a uh, uh, graduate school in uh, st university of washington university in st louis gosh i haven't talked about my pedigree about academics in a long time but i i mastered in i got a master's in computer science so between those two things three things uh, math chemistry and computer science i got all my nerdy credentials up front and early from there one straight job out of college was uh for an e-commerce company called monster commerce uh, turnkey shopping software it's where i learned doing customer support. It's where I learned doing web programming. And that kind of springboarded me into the whole world of entrepreneurship and trying to find something to do beyond just trading hours for dollars, which eventually Mm -hmm. led me to what I do uh, full-time these days, which is uh, my business and software company platform called Coach Accountable.
0: What led you out of uh, Milwaukee?
1: Well, first and foremost, I mean, I went to Brookfield Central. And the joke there was that not everyone, but a lot of people went to, to Madison. It was, it was joked as like, that's Brookfield West. Everyone just kind of migrates over there. And it was a really popular destination. Great state school. Couldn't beat it in terms of, you know, price and quality and experiences and to be with a lot of my peers from, from, uh, high school itself. So that itself was great. Um, and then I, I could have stayed on there to do the d- doctoral program, uh, in computer science, I got accepted. And then I kind of welched last minute when I realized like, wait, I should do something different because I got a better offer elsewhere. And and it really kind of seemed like the right thing to do to, to move on beyond what was comfortable, what was so close to home on hours drive and easy to take a little vacation away from it all and, and get a nice meal and do some laundry. Cliche, right? Spread your rings and ply. So the opportunity to go to St. Louis, not too far away, still in the Midwest, but a whole new town to discover and, and learn and, and all that. It was the one of those things that I think was really formative in terms of, well, take the initiative, do what's less comfortable and see where it goes. And I loved it. It was a great move.
0: Now, what were some of the differences between Milwaukee and St. Louis?
1: <laughs> Lack of my family being right there. Both a blessing and a curse, right? I mean, talk about a great way to to find yourself and, and come of age as an adult, you know, without being sort of related to you as the the kid that you were among among your family, so it was kind of nice to get away, kind of a bummer to get away too, because you know it was really great to go home and, and see, see beloveds in that way. The other thing, and I, I'm sure you'll relate to this, Elsie, it was like 10 degrees warmer every single day. It was like vacation, man. instead of you know, the tufts of snow that would accumulate in Wisconsin and not, not really uh, thaw away until April or May, it's just like, this is really mild. This is really nice, and uh, I think I am a softer man for it. It took a little time to just enjoy more comfy weather, and the hardiness of my soul that was growing up in in Wisconsin was kind of eroded away in a in a nice leisurely way. It's pleasant.
0: I can identify. We um, so I'm originally from Southern Illinois, and ah. when we moved uh, up to Appleton initially out of college, you went in the opposite direction. Yes, Good on you. that's nine-ish hours away from home, and it's just me and the wife, and uh, talk about learning how to stand on your own two feet. Uh-huh. <laughs> it grows you up quick.
1: Right on, right on.
0: So what else? What, what else was different between St. Louis and, and Milwaukee? I'm sure the people. Um, mm-hmm. I've found that it, cities have uh, unique personalities, and that mm-hmm. um, really goes all the way down to the people. Um, for example, Chicago people are different. <laughs> Did you find that similarly or?
1: I think it's hard for me to say because I was never really, not really an adult in my hometown. Never really grown up. The occasional visit, but again, I my whole experience of when it came to the people, that was all whatever differences might have been city to city was overshadowed by the environments I was in. You know, I was in a. The university program, and so those were my peers, and it was all kind of like-minded individuals who who would come in to, you know do graduate work in a, in, a, in a heavy degree of computer science. Um, and then again, the the tech company that I that I started in, you know, was my first jobby Job that colored my perception probably more than the geography of where I was around. I found St. Louisian to be very nice and and friendly. I mean, it's such a big small town. You know, it's technically geographically and and population wise a big town, but I just see the same people everywhere I went. Like, there was a sense of like homey familiarness. And I don't know if I would have had that same experience uh, in Milwaukee or not. Maybe, maybe not. I I never, I was never really an adult there. I was just always, you know, little Johnny's coming back to visit and spending time with family. I've never really
0: experienced it. Out of all the things that you've learned over the years, what would you say your superpower is?
1: Well, Career wise, this is definitely the one. It's, I'm really good at the code. It turns out I love it. I love the, the, the problem solving of it, the heads down, you know, make something beautiful, the, the computer as this creative medium for, of expression for, for making stuff. Doing that while being informed by, well, what's the real need for this? You know, bridging that gap between, you know, as they say in, in, you know, the, the MBA programs, you know, the business analyst case for what it is and how to do it in technology. Um, in, in my one straight job out of college doing tech support and then custom programming for an e-commerce company, all day long I would listen to, okay, here's what I need the software to do because it means this and this and this in my business, and hey, can you do it? And so translating that sort of businessy kind of impetus to make the machine do something, to make the code do something, to have the software have a new ability um, and then implement that and sort of bring my art to it from that understanding, not just from a raw spec doc, but, oh yeah, there are real people on the line that I'm working with and collaborating with and, and looking to help. So bridging that world, that's been my bliss. That's been so much fun and, you know, in, in my business, that's what I've been doing for the last uh, almost seven years now. Um, So yeah, I, to sum that all up, that all that word soup is... uh using technology to solve business problems and and being a sort of craftsman and in in creating those those software things that that do that it's been a lot of fun
0: expand on that a little bit Um, talking about using technology to solve problems and i guess business in general right because that's the whole point of uh, entrepreneurship and business is solving problems Mm -hmm. so talk a little bit about number one how how do you identify those problems and speak a little to the methodology that you use to coming up with solutions to those problems
1: i'm not sure i have a methodology you know and I'll, it's not just to cop out on your question but i'll unpack that a little um when i was doing custom programming for on on demand requests you know in in my my one job it was all about listening to, hey, uh, it'd be really cool if the software could do this, if, you know, maybe charge a different amount based on which state they're in and the software doesn't do that. And can you make it do that? And I thought that that sort of like uh, the understanding the business part, that was the easy part. And everyone around me seemed to, th- there's just this vibe that coding is hard, takes a lot of time, it's error prone. And when you release it, maybe you technically get it right for what they ask, but it's still kind of a clunky whatnot. This is where it goes back to, I think, having gotten all my my nerdy chops, you know, a math degree and a chemistry degree, and then throw some computer science on top of that. It was really easy by comparison. I, I found it like, oh, well, cool. Let me bring my art to this and make this an elegant thing that uh, that's really going to serve because I really get it. And I'm not just checking boxes. But I'm going to go above and beyond because I, I can put myself—you know—it's empathy, right? Put myself in the shoes of the person who really needs it. They might be terrible at conveying. Well, I need the software to do this and that. They they didn't account for like X, Y, and Z. Also, that if we don't have that in place, it's going to be janky or insufficient or not really get the whole solution in there. So that empathy to to take what people say and bring my art to building the solution above and beyond probably what they knew to ask for just to make sure that they were getting everything that they imagined without recognizing that they're imagining that would be part of the end solution, part of the end product.
0: So what made you decide to do Coach Accountable?
1: Well, that came out of doing a number of years of contract work. So after I left my my one straight job, I was actually uh, kind of drunk on possibility, you might say. Just like so inspired, like, oh yeah, we're young and, and ambitious and we can do anything and let's go do some some stuff. That naive optimism of youth, right? It was great and we wanted to kind of see what we could do. I, I was doing the e-commerce for Bear Paint in the in my official capacity at my own job. And I asked my bosses really nicely, hey, can I can I take them as a customer? Because I know you guys want to get them off your network as you're standardizing, get, getting rid of the whole custom programming thing. And my bosses were really great. I was really upfront with them and they were like, hey, that's cool. We want to send you off and get you on a good path and all that. So we got our foot in the door with a couple of ways to do a job. And and project work for others. And that got us sort of profitable right from day one. You know, scrap and buy, feast and famine cycles, all that jazz. But doing that long enough, about uh about two years, me and my partners who again just so like, woo, we can do whatever, what can we going to do? Uh, we wanted to transcend just doing contract work. We wanted to transcend just doing you know, trading skilled hours for dollars and make something that scales more to have a product. And, uh, we were really fascinated with the world of coaching. Uh, it had made tremendous differences in in all of our lives. And we'd done coaching programs where we, we ourselves were, you know, coached as well as, you know, we turned around, you know, upon graduation from that program, we were coaches and we saw that there was uh, shortcomings, real. Kind of basic shortcomings, even from a programmer's perspective, of how certain programming or excuse me, certain coaching programs were done. So wanting to transcend project work and have a program plus, hey, coaching is cool, and there's not really a good platform out of that. Equals a spirited, if not naive, first attempt at making the the enterprise that is now known as Coach Accountable. Version one, it looked pretty, but uh, it wasn't great. And lessons learned along learn that way too.
0: talk about how you how you overcome those challenges as they come up, because obviously you um, you launch a platform and it's not going to be perfect. People are going to have things that they wish that the platform did. Mm-hmm. How do you work through those things?
1: Let me fast forward to version two, because that's the one that actually worked version one. We kind of built in isolation, you know, to how I said about that empathy with customers and the real needs. We didn't really use our own product or or have anything but really well-wishing folks pat us on the back and say, go get them, without that actual cold, hard validation of a complete stranger who doesn't care about you. Do they think what you're up to is interesting? We didn't get that kind of validation. So... That was the version one. We scuttled it and put it on the back burner. Let me fast forward to answer your question to the version two days, which started, you know, late uh 2012 when I launched it in earnest with a number of good lessons behind behind me under my belt and 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 executed to a product that people actually used. And to your question, what do you do when it doesn't do everything and, and people ask for more? Well, oh, it's great. You you just you listen. And and when you've got a critical mass of people who are using your product, it can be low as 10. You start to quickly find, shall we say, alignment in what's being said feedback-wise. A one-off comment, well, maybe that's just your particular style, and eh, maybe we don't want to grow the platform in that direction to handle that style. Three people say it in the same week, oh yeah, this is clearly uh, something that we should should address. And so that um, being super accessible to my customers in the early days was such a great way to get, you know, shall we say market research. I I think market research is largely BS. You know, it's it's simulated, you know, data collecting from focus groups and contrived scenarios that's hard to actually, they're still guesses, right? Simulated, you know, fact finding leads to simulated answers. They're not real. But the real, you know, having something out there and having people use it, interact with it, give you their honest feedback, vote with their dollars. That's a great way to get real feedback. And I, I, I would say time and again with the folks I would interact with my customers, hey, it's my pleasure to take time. Thanks for sharing. I can't buy market research this good. That feedback loop being tight, coupled with, you know, again, my my aforementioned superpower of like, hey, I can kind of listen and make it happen in the code and do it and bring my art to it so that it's a complete and satisfying solution that like people would actually like versus checking boxes of specs. Uh, that combination really worked. And it was a I mean, it's been a six and a half year long pattern of iteration and evolution from that same exact principle. Listen to your customers, suss out the common threads of of what could be better. And act on that.
0: So, as we um, kind of wrap things up here, um, the old adage applies here: what time flies when you're having fun. Right on. Um, Talk a little bit about some of the mistakes that you made and how those made your the product that you have now better.
1: Well, one of the big mistakes was what I kind of alluded to in version one. We made something that was largely for some other person to use. We didn't use it ourselves. And in the industry of, of software development is called dog fooding. Eat your own dog food and see if it's terrible. And if it's palatable to you, then you can actually trust that you're what you're making for other people to actually purchase from you is going to be of a sufficient quality. So I got I got that was a huge mistake where we made Coach Gunnable version one look really great, but it wasn't it was clunky to use and it actually didn't do the things that you'd want it to do in a nice. It wasn't nice to use version two. I, I learned from that mistake hard because version one, again, never went anywhere and really actually used it. I had a guinea pig buddy who who was my guinea pig coachee on the system, and and I filed off the rough corners as I went from that experience.
0: What would you say to an entrepreneur who's thinking about starting a business or pivoting their business? uh, What would be your advice to them?
1: I think one of the greatest things you can do is to not shy away from doing something yourself that you don't necessarily know how to do. One of the hard things about a business is If you have to hire everyone for everything that's not quite in your sweet spot, you have to take their word for it. It takes a lot more budget, and you don't have a real sense of that ownership from which to do it the best. So if there's certain things you need done, I mean, a small business owner wears many hats, right? If you can step up and take on wearing more hats and and grow your skills in certain ways, even if it's not great, just a, a passing ability gives you such a bigger leg to stand on in terms of getting it done the right way you want it to do it. Or at least conveying to some other talented person delegation-wise from a better understanding of what it is you're delegating. Always be learning so you can take on different hats and, and, uh, and have a certain greater ownership of the project, I think, is a, a really powerful place to come from. It's a very can-do kind of thing, and it's not shying away from the challenge of like, hey, maybe I could figure this out. And if I do, the end result's going to be better because I'm holding the whole vision for the business in the first place.
0: Having a can-do attitude is definitely, definitely uh, the way forward. So if people want to learn more about your, um, your company and what you guys do, how can they reach out?
1: Ah, as simple as visiting us on the web or coach Um, if you watch the little explainer video, talk about, uh, skills where I branched out just because I actually did the, the writing and narration of that. And it wasn't for being cheap. I actually hired professional studio talent and we did a session and I, she had a lovely voice and I coached her through it. But at the end of the day, it just didn't ring true. And so that was kind of fun to just put my voice on it and have a sort of gritty authenticity. Check us out there. Check, you know, view that video and you get a flavor for for what we're doing. And, you know, it's a it's a pretty niche business. It's for coaches wanting to do better coaching work. But uh, that's where we're at. Easy to find online.
0: Thank you so much uh, again, John, for your time.
1: Right on, Elsie. My pleasure.
0: Enterprisers, if you got value from that awesome conversation, let the world know by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast app. That helps us know that we're bringing you golden nugget filled conversations with the most inspirational business owners. Reach out to me directly at eflinart at enterprise-now.biz with any feedback or questions for me or any of my guests. Also, don't forget to check out the Enterprises Elite Club for thought leaders that want to learn how to leverage podcasting to launch, grow, and maximize their business. Head on over to www.enterprise-now.biz enterprisers to learn more. Thanks again, folks. And we'll talk with you guys next week. What a fantastic episode. Hey, listen, I want to know something. What is the top concern that you have in your business? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it finance? Operations? Shoot me an email, mayor at podcasttown.net.